Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today's show, we're going to talk about security issues that you need to be aware of when you are selecting an outsourced help desk or an outsourced IT service provider. So first off, I want to say that in virtually all businesses, it is beneficial to utilize some level of an external consultancy for various services because it's generally going to be impossible for you to hire and then properly manage someone who's a full-time internal and IT employee. So the best way I would uh, have you think about this is that if you're the executive director and you can't do 100% of all the IT jobs in the environment, then you're probably not going, you're going to have blind spots is ultimately what it comes down to. You're going to have challenges in constructing an IT department and managing an IT department. And I see just endless examples of failure in that sort of model. So what does work fairly well is either completely outsourced IT to a qualified IT service provider or a co-managed IT scenario. So there's a great deal of benefit from having on-site IT staff, depending upon the size of your organization, who can deal with end-user support or do uh, special projects that have to do with things like business line applications or business process improvement, um, you know, automation type of things that are really more oriented towards the business line apps. I know the temptation is that, oh, well, we'll just have them do all the maintenance. Well, in two decades of working in co-managed IT, what I find is that full-time on-site IT staff generally does not do a proper job of maintenance. Some of it has to do with a lack of tools, uh, a lack of automation, a lack of knowledge, and a lack of time. When their primary job function is to respond to internal support requests, the tendency is to always give the squeaky wheel the attention. And that squeaky wheel is someone who says that they can't do their job, so they need tech support to get their job done. And that's a legitimate squeaky wheel. But if that's the case, then who is paying attention to actually doing the maintenance? So the majority of maintenance on computer endpoints really needs to be done using what's called a remote monitoring and management tool, so an RMM. RMMs are very expensive, very, very expensive and they require a massive amount of technical expertise to get set up correctly. There are a lot of junk RMMs on the market that are insecure, and when they are junk, 
there are two, maybe three main problems that come from them. One, they introduce security risks into your environment. So imagine this RMM tool that if someone has a, an admin account on the RMM and that admin account gets compromised in any way, then that RMM can be used as the breach vector against 100% of your systems. So utilizing a cloud-hosted RMM is really a not a good choice. And the vast majority of the RMMs that are out there are not that secure anyways. I've done a security risk analysis on most of them, and the only ones that even can be secured properly are very expensive. And that's, I mean, I, I don't think that's unusual. You know, I don't think that's unexpected. But it also, the third factor is that there's a tremendous amount of extremely high technical skill set that it takes in order to set up an RMM correctly. It's really very similar to setting up a, a deep and rich ITIL capable um, professional services administration tool. And, and I say PSA because simply a ticketing system, just it's not good enough. So this, if you look at the fact that, let's say you're trying to implement that just for your internal company and you expect your internal IT to implement that, it's really, it's an unrealistic expectation. Even if you give them a budget of 20 or $30,000, they're just, they're not gonna get it done. Like the RMM that we use, there's literally 16 years of energy that has gone into that RMM. So if you want the RMM to be effective, not only do you have to select the right one, which is pretty darn difficult to begin with, then it has to be highly customized, highly programmed, and there's massive amounts of customization that goes into that. So people find these processes where you can go and look at an RMM provider and they'll say that they've got implementation services for you and customization services for you and things like that. And I don't think any of them are useful. We used to do RMM implementations for people who had their own on-premise RMM. So we would in install the RMM and then we would put a bunch of our RMM scripts on their server. But then the problem was that, how do you maintain that? Right, so it really only became, it was really only cost effective for the client to just utilize access to our RMM that we were maintaining, we were hosting, we were doing all the script development on it. We were the ones who had the expertise in it. All of that was our responsibility. That is a cost effective, right? So if you realize that doing effective maintenance and effective management and monitoring is really, really deeply centered around having an effective RMM in place, but that on a small to medium business size, you can't really scale that on your own. So that is one of those things that an IT service provider can help you with if they have a way in order to deploy their RMM to your systems and simultaneously 
either just you know take over all that management and maintenance on their own which that may be the best course of action actually or to allow your internal IT to have access to your systems through their RMM right these are things to think about so that's really you know something that I find is just tons of things that are not getting done inside of an environment that are absolute basic 101 level functions such as do you have an effective endpoint detection and response agent with uh, an overall endpoint protection strategy do you have a managed detection and response service that is 24 7 365 do you have a threat hunting service are you maintaining appropriate logs what level of reporting exists who's looking at those reports how frequently are you getting the reports are you doing vulnerability assessment what are you doing about identifying deprecated software on systems and eliminating it I mean I could go on and on I mean this is just basic 101 level stuff now I'll let you into a little bit of a secret in the IT service provider industry it is my opinion that the vast majority I'm going to say in excess of 85% of IT service providers do not have an effective security or patch management strategy. And I say this based upon being part of a number of technology service provider forums where I see the banter about what they are considering in terms of their strategy for doing things. So for example, a lot of what I will see is commentary about, oh, we're using this, this, and this other security tool, but yet they've got nothing effective going on for really patch management. I have talked to dozens of these business owners of managed service providers who when I ask them, how frequently are you installing firmware updates and driver updates on all the physical hardware? I can't tell you how many times it, it is that they tell me that they didn't know that they needed to do that. So there's a problem that exists. And the problem is it's a criminal fraud issue really is what it comes down to. When you look at liability provisions, there is a standard of due care and that standard is typically defined based upon what is specified as standard for for the industry within with regards to that particular thing okay so let's take Dell PowerEdge server updates as a prime example of that so Dell since at least the year 2000 if not before then has had and it's not just Dell HP as well <clears throat> you know and some others as well but Dell I think really does the best job of it they have had mechanisms in place in fact I, I would argue copious copious mechanisms by which you can install hardware firmware and driver updates on the physical computers whether they be servers or workstations so if that functionality has been around for that long of period of time 
and it has been a standard in patch management strategies and patch management solutions to patch those things, then if your company or your managed services provider is not doing that, and if they are charging you for patch management services, then I would take a keen eye as to whether or not that is criminal fraud. Now, you could go and look at a statement of work or a service contract for that particular service, and if they do not specifically state in there that they are doing firmware updates and driver updates, then are they doing them? And it just isn't stated that they're doing it? Or are they not doing it? They don't know that they need to be doing it. Or are they trying to achieve some sort of a price point by not doing that work and thereby misleading you to think that your systems are actually being taken care of when they're not? Or is it that, you know, they're just not doing it, but they're collecting the fee? There is a very sizable local managed service provider that I know of that has been for years and years and years charging customers for patch management services that they're actually not delivering. So anytime you're charging for a service that you don't deliver, that's criminal fraud. That's just basically what it comes down to. Now in the case where their contract or statement of work or service contract says that you know they're going to do X, Y, and Z and then through material neglect and through a material non-disclosure, they don't tell you what they're not going to do so that you don't know necessarily what they, they aren't doing, that they're not charging you for. If you don't know that you need that, then you don't know that it's a deficiency. So this is one of the reasons why you cannot shop based upon price. Now, let's go back to this whole thing I was telling you about the, the bantied about messed up strategies that I hear articulated all the time. They're like, oh, yes, we're using like Arctic Wolf and Sentinel-1. And, you know, so they've got all of these different what they perceive to be layers of security, yet no one in their business is doing knock and sock activities in-house. So they think that they're providing their customers something better by outsourcing these things, but they have no idea what these companies that they outsource to are actually doing or not doing. Then in the meantime, what difference does it make whether you're using Arctic Wolf or Sentinel-1 if you don't have a viable patch management strategy in place and if you don't have viable vulnerability assessment reporting? and you don't have a process in place where somebody is looking at those reports at least weekly and deciding, oh, well, you know, why is this machine not patched? Why does this machine have old deprecated software on it? What can we do about getting rid of old deprecated software? What can we do about getting that machine patched? Is it online? When was it last online? Okay, somebody needs to be paying attention to these things. All it takes is one computer that hasn't been patched, that's vulnerable to be the infection vector for your entire environment. That's all it takes. And these things are 
not hard to do when you know what you're doing. The problem is the complexity of knowing what to do and developing a strategy that's very, very difficult. And the vast majority of service providers do not have those skill sets in a totality of methodology. If they go and leave some equipment on the environment that's not getting patched, and that becomes the security vulnerability. When was the last time firmware updates were installed on the printers? How old is that printer? Is the printer even patchable? You know, did somebody select some junk that can't be patched? I'll give you a great one. So brother printers, please stop buying these things. You could literally go and buy a brand new brother printer and they have not updated their software since 2014. And as a result, you install their software and it is going to immediately install ancient, long, long deprecated other pieces of dependent software on your computer, thereby making your computer not only vulnerable, but failing compliance assessments. So who knows that? Does your internal IT know that? A high security IT service provider like QPC, we do know that. But if you're a client and you don't call before you decide you're going to go procure something, well, you know, you're just creating these problems for yourself. So you see, it's complicated. You can't do it all in-house. In many cases, I think outsourcing everything doesn't work either. And then you have to really ask, all right, who are the upstream counterparty risks that the MSP themselves have? Are they using an outsourced help desk? I bring up this point of the outsourced help desk because it's a big issue that I've been talking about for years. You know, I think usually the, the general gist of what I feel is that I'm the lone wolf in the wilderness talking about something for a decade. And then finally... Finally, the industry starts making some changes and goes like, oh, yeah, we're going to start talking about this problem. And I'm like, I've been telling you guys that for a decade. And this whole thing about outsourcing help desk is one of these things I've been talking about for more than a decade. If you're going to outsource your help desk, have you assessed the risk that actually comes from doing that? So an article from IT Pro Today published on February 25th, it says blatantly this, the most secure help desk outsourcing is no help desk outsourcing. And I agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. So back in uh, time frame between, let's say, 2014, 2016, it was a really, really, really big thing. And I think in many cases it still is where businesses would say, oh, well, we want to be able to call for support 24 hours a day. The IT service provider would not disclose to them how that was being delivered and the failures of that paradigm. So if you're going to do 24-7-365 help desk, then how many people are on that team? Who are they employed by? And what implications does that have? Let's take live virtual help desk as an example. Historically, that has been 200 people in Canada 
or 200 people in Philadelphia. But it's very, very, very large teams of individuals and you have no ability to define who is going to be allocated to your clientele. MSPs have been contracting them, contracting with Live Virtual Help Desk and other parties like them for a very long period of time. Now, I'm not saying that it can't be used securely, but more often than not, the MSP themselves, in order to make their lives easy, they go and take shared credentials and they put those into the help desk system and then they give the outsourced help desk access to that data. So first off, let's establish the fact that shared credentials shouldn't be used at all. Secondarily, you don't just put them inside of a help desk management system in clear text. That's insane. You have to only be putting passwords and credentials into an identity and access management server that has full auditing and reporting and things such as, you know, high volume activity tracking. Like in our identity and access management server, if somebody copies a password too many times within a certain time period, the two master admins get an alert so that you can start taking some action on that and maybe wondering was that actually legit or not. And when you're looking at a properly implemented identity and access management solution, there is no external accessibility to it. Yet, what I find the vast majority of these companies are doing is they are utilizing, let's say, an Autotask PSA or maybe they're using uh, IT glue, they could be using any number of things where they're storing this information, and none of those resources are IP access controlled restricted. And if you've got an outsource help desk that's 200 people, is that actually 200 individual unique accounts that you as the MSP are managing access into your system as? Oh no. No way in heck. Nope. They're using a shared account. Does that shared account have MFA on it? Maybe. What difference does it make anyways? You've got no accountability and no tracking for anything there. So if you can't have a one-to-one -one account relationship because you've outsourced to a 200-person help desk, or heck, even if it's a 60-person help desk, I don't really care what the number is. You know, it's if you are doing any sort of an identity and access management strategy that is utilizing these types of shared accounts, you're just asking for problems. So there's high turnover that exists in a lot of these outsourced help desks. A lot of them are in foreign countries. That may may or may not be acceptable to you. So some of the things that can happen is that I'll throw out some scenarios for you. Let's say there's a help desk technician who is basically working for the outsourced help desk for a long period of time, maybe a year or so, six months to a year, and then they have been writing down and compiling institutional knowledge and passwords and security passphrases and answers to security questions, and any number of things like that that could be useful for social engineering, recon, and credential theft. So they compile this during their tenure where they're employed there. And then 
they leave. Maybe they go work someplace else and then they don't, you know, they lay low for a while. So another six months go by. Then they start utilizing the information that they have collated together about your environment and start to perpetrate attacks. Why? Well, because they can, because that's how they make money. Um, you know, they got a side hustle going on and the side hustle is trying to obtain illicit access to things to be able to make money on the dark web or, you know, maybe just buy themselves some stuff off of Amazon fraudulently. You decide. But see, the problem is when you've gone to an outsourced help desk, not only do you not know that there's been employee turnover at the help desk, but your managed services provider doesn't know either. We don't use outsourced help desk. I think it's a nightmare security from heck. I would never use it. The thing I've always used as a predictor of how many people that you need in order to competently manage an environment is, let's just take a look at a very, very, very large local employer in Racine. I'm going to not put out any names, but I can tell you that I have firsthand knowledge of how many people they require with admin level access in order to take care of things over there. So size of the organization, over 10,000 users. How many people have full on, full admin access in the environment? Eight. Eight is the number. So if it actually only takes eight people with full level admin access in order to effectuate the management and maintenance of the infrastructure globally for a more than 10,000 user company, then why, why do you need 60 people to have admin access to your small to medium business environment? Why? How is that ever even remotely efficacious? How are you supposed to keep 60 people up to speed on the uniquenesses in your environment? How can you have quality control with 60 people with admin access? So I would strongly encourage you to stop asking questions about the size of the company or how many people do you have to ask and answer the phone. These larger companies are just a security vulnerability to you. The question you need to be asking is, how many people will have admin access to my environment? And you need to ask them that about Office 365 too. Because the vast majority of Office 365 providers are utilizing upstream providers with full delegated admin access into your tenants that is an inordinate quantity of people. Last time I checked with Rackspace, they had over 200 people that had full admin access to all of the delegated admin tenants, which could be thousands for all I know. But my question about that is, if for all those people that, all those managed services providers who are using Rackspace, have they disclosed to their customers that in essence of doing business with them in that way, that they have provided full delegated admin access to all of their Office 365 tenant con content to 200 people. 
and there's no audit tracking over that. There's no visibility into when it's been accessed remotely. You have no idea. So a failure to disclose a material fact can be perceived to be criminal fraud. This is one of the reasons why you struggle so much when you're trying to find an external service provider to work with is because you don't know the questions to ask. You don't even know how to evaluate whether you're getting the services that you're paying for from your current IT service provider. We do do audits for people if you're interested in that sort of a thing. I'm happy to do an audit for you. I'm not going to do it for free. I've got more than enough paid work. So, uh, but I don't know exactly how people can solve these problems on their own. If you don't know how to do the work of a managed services provider, you probably can't audit a managed services provider. I know oftentimes I get asked to look at invoices <clears throat> and I'll be very blunt here that if I can't make sense out of the invoice, if the invoice does not, if I can't even find out what the heck you're being delivered as a service, then something does not smell correct there. You know, it, like it, that just sets off alarm bells and you're not going to know about that. So, well, that's it for today's show. Hope it's been helpful. Uh, as always, contact us if you uh, have any questions about any of the content.